Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is episode 12 of Alohomora for September 23rd, 2012. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Alohomora. We uh, have a really special guest host today and a new lead host. So let's just jump right into the introductions. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Laura Riley, and our special guest is Dan Bernstein, a blogger of Spark Life, who blogging Harry Potter and his own blog, Laser Farm, and we're very, very excited to have him. Hello, thank you. I'm Dan Bernstein. You can pronounce my name any way you want, doesn't matter. And um, I'm really happy to be here and kind of nervous, very nervous, actually. <laughs> don't, uh, don't, don't be nervous. Thanks for joining us. I'm curious because you said pronounce it anyway. What's the craziest um, pronounce? pronunciation of your name that you've gotten well the american version is berkstein that's what we go by but the, right. in german it would be berkstein oh right, so right, usually right, when someone reads it they'll say berkstein and i don't ever correct them because i don't really care which is the correct way it depends <laughs> like i say berkstein <laughs> they're both correct so according okay. to me berkstein's correct Okay, well, we'll just, for the sake of that, just go with Dan today yeah, and yeah. make it really simple. <laughs> but thanks so much for joining us. We're, we're really excited to have you on board. And um, also, like I mentioned, Lara is joining us for the first time on the episode today. Lara is our executive producer, and she is joining us today as a lead host. So, Lara, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you since it's your first time on? Uh, okay, well, like Caleb said, I've been the executive produ- producer of the show. Uh, I've been working for MuggleNet for about a year now, and I'm a video editor for the site, and I was part of when Alohomora started. I was part of the startup, so I'm very excited to be here. Also very nervous, but it should be fun. Well, we promise that Rosie will not buy very hard during the episode. <laughs> so. Um, so since we kind of have this thing every time we have a new host on, um, Laura, what is your Pottermore house? I'm a Gryffindor, proud Griff- Gryffindor. Awesome, Gryffindor. And do you remember your wand, if it describes you really well or not? Oh gosh, I can't remember it exactly, but it's, I know it's unicorn hair, and I believe, I totally don't remember, it's 13 inches, I totally, oh, English, English oak, 
Okay, well, it sounds like it's definitely really important to your life. But, uh, <laughs> so, and I hear, Dan, that you are about Pottermore's biggest fan. Is that right? No, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> I uh, perhaps infamously rejected Pottermore after trying to sign up, I guess it was about a year ago, um, and I went through the whole process. This was back during the beta phase where it was sort of a, you had to wait forever and ever just to gain access, and the whole thing just turned me off that I just never went yeah. back, and I offered up my username to anyone that wanted it. I wanted to send it back to them, but they wouldn't take it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember those early days of frustration trying to get on because they would only let so many people, but the cra site crashed every other second. So. Yeah, so I'm sure now it's probably great, but I'm not there. Yeah. Not I really. mean, it's it's better, but I think a lot of us hope for still more as it continues to roll out, but we'll see, I guess. The actual information is interesting, though. But That's true. The information is great. Um, so, to start off our episode, we are going to go back, as we always do, to our comments from the last week's episode, so on chapters three and four. This comment is from The Head Girl, and it's from our main site, and it's regarding the difference between the US and UK versions of the book. Um, and one of, they say, one of my favourite what, what moments of British slang comes from chapter four of Chamber of Secrets, where in the British paperback it says... Percy was already dressed, his Hogwarts Prefect badge pinned to his knitted tank top. Wait, he's wearing a what? American paperback says pinned to his sweater vest. Oh, I remember. It threw me off quite a quite a bit um, at the immediate mental image of Percy wearing what an American would call a knitted tank top. However, I think we can all appreciate that Percy rocks a sweater vest at the age of 16 and to the breakfast table. <laughs> I really like this. Um... I think I agree that we can't appreciate that Percy's already got that sweater vest game going strong. <laughs> Not many people can pull it off. That's true. But, you know, I wonder I wonder if his... I mean, I'm sure Fred and George made fun of him a lot because you can't expect them to be rocking that sweater vest at, you know, <laughs> where they are in life right now. <laughs> but, however, it is, it's a knitted sweater vest or tank top either way so it's probably something that mrs weasley has made for them so i'm sure fred and george have got them whether they wear them or not oh that's a good point yeah i'm surprised that you know percy well i guess that's the only sweater vest he probably has because we know they don't have as much money so but i wonder if as he gets older he sort of sets aside the homely sweater vest for what would be more appropriate to wear in the ministry yeah <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, in the movies and things, we do see Ron dressed in sweater vests, and you've got that kind of homemade feel to all of their clothing, um, yeah. which I think the movies do really well. And mm -hmm. it's just obviously in the books as well. So do you really call a, a tank top a sweater vest in, in the UK? I'm so no, confused about No, we wouldn't... That. Other way around, we wouldn't yeah, yeah, call... Yeah. Uh, we don't really use the, the phrase sweater vest that much here. Um, so oh, you're missing out. tank top to us is... <laughs> so so you call your sweater vests tank tops or i guess or just like a vest top okay um, that makes sense we don't generally use the the term sweater in any way we use jumper and things like that instead so right um yeah we would call it a vest top i guess crazy yeah because i could not imagine percy wearing uh what in america we refer to as a tank top <laughs> <laughs> he's not really the the sporty tank top kind of guy no <laughs> okay um so our next comment is actually a voicemail 
Hi, my name is Susitna, and I'm from Renton, Washington. I was just listening to Will Flew for Food um, from September 9th, and you were talking about the house elves um, operating to a person instead of a place and how Voldemort should have kind of figured that out, and I had an inspiration that that is how the... Um, Deluminator that Dumbledore gave to Ron in Deathly Hallows enabled Ron to get to Hermione because Hermione taught, said Ron's name and Ron was thinking about her and the Deluminator enabled him to use house elf magic to apparate to Hermione. Anyway, thought I'd share that. Thanks. Bye. Um, so this is in regards to a conversation we were having last week about the... Um house elf magic and their specific branch of um, kind of transportation and the fact that they can uh, um, apparate to a person rather than a place um, which is what we know of wizards they have to kind of visualize an area that they've been to or know about before and we're we're linking this to the scene in Deathly Hallows where Ron uses the deluminator to find Hermione so rather than going to a specific place where he knows where she is, he's just following that one specific person and manages to apparate his way there or go through the deluminator to find her. Um, and I think that's a really interesting connection, especially the fact that it links them to house elves, which is obviously such an important part in their kind of romantic relationship in Deathly Hallows, um, if you're following the book version rather than the movie version. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point, and it makes me wonder if maybe that's what Dumbledore was kind of going for whenever he created the Deluminator. Maybe he, I mean, he obviously probably understands how house elf magic works probably more than a lot of people in the magical world. So maybe he was trying to simulate that ability when he created it. Yeah, and I think maybe uh, not many people, I would imagine, wizards respect house elf magic. That because um, Dumbledore does, that that's, he was maybe able to study it and like hone it in into the deluminator as opposed like because he cared enough to think about house elf magic whereas other wizards might just dismiss it as not as powerful or important house elves confuse me a lot so <laughs> i mean their their magic i you guys know so much more about harry potter than i do so please you know i'm going to say <laughs> things that are completely wrong and get yelled at but um, no, that's completely fine because last week we were, t- I mean, we were trying to dig through the house elf magic ourselves. I don't think we necessarily are experts on it by any means. So, no, I mean, it, it seems fun and, 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 uh, and they can do a lot. So I just chalk it up to they can do whatever they want and their magic is just completely different. I do wonder what they were called before there were houses. Huh. Cave elves. That's the good point. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, so whenever house elf magic comes up, I just say, yep, they can do things, and move on. Yeah. Convenient plot yeah. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an interesting point. It is. Okay, so we have a comment on our forums um, by Zio Regredians about Arthur driving. Um, and it says, he does drive a car. In the very next chapter, we see Arthur drive everyone to King's Cross in the Ford Anglia. So Arthur definitely has the ability to drive cars and has probably driven his family around like that before. So the twins could easily have learned enough about driving from watching their dad in the car. I could also see Arthur excitedly explaining all of the new charms and knobs he's added to the car and to his kids. So it's not far-fetched to see the twins driving. 
Um, and this is regards to a conversation we were having about the fact that the twins are somehow able to drive um, or fly the Ford Anglia um, without any kind of access to muggle lessons or anything like that. I think there's plenty of teenagers that are not of a driving age that have like dri- driven their parents' cars just in areas where they shouldn't, where they could get away with it. I know my mom like learned how to drive a car when she was 15, and that's definitely not legal. So I don't think it's that far fetched that the twins, especially how mis- mischievous they are to begin with, they could have even just stolen the car out for the di- for the afternoon and figured it out themselves. I think it's very different in England, though, than America. Our, our driving age, um, you don't get your kind of provisional until you're 17. Um, and there's a lot less kind of open space in England than America um, for them to learn to drive in. But they could have, you know, joyrided around a field, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I remember driving when I was like 13 or Uh-oh. something with my dad. So. <laughs> so I was with my dad, chill. Um, so I, but I learned how to drive pretty early. But I also like thinking back on this comment. I mean, sure, they, you know, may have been able to see how Arthur drives when with him, but it's kind of different when they're driving a flying car. I don't know how many times they've been out in the flying car with yeah. with Arthur, so I figure it would be a little different, because it's almost like you're driving an airplane. Well, to be fair, I don't think there are many flying car lessons that they can sign up for legally, <laughs> so... But our, but Fred and, that's true, and Fred and George are very resourceful. They They pick up things very well. I mean, they're definitely bright guys, so... Don't put it past them to just sort of catch on on their own. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Pennsylvania, and there's a lot of Amish around. And uh, Amish kids, uh, when they reach a certain age, they're allowed to, you know, break from their Amish way. And they, they can pick up driving pretty easily, and there is they do joyride. So huh. I don't think uh, joyriding is that difficult of a task to understand. Just hit the go pedal. <laughs> You'll figure it out somewhere or another. You might, you know, hit a few bumps and a few cars, but it'll work out. Yeah, and especially as we said last week, with it being flying, there's less things for them to crash into up there. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so this next comment is from Ethimia on the main site, um, and it's in regards to Harry suppressing his magic. Um, and they say, I couldn't help but see this as a metaphor to homosexuality and how homosexual people are often expected to suppress their nature while having to listen to idiots talking about it being their choice. Harry is even in some sort of a closet when we first meet him. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Rowling um, wrote the entire series with a magic as a metaphor for homosexuality idea in mind. I'm just saying that this particular part could be interpreted in that way. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. There's definitely a lot of parallels, but I also agree that Joe probably didn't have that necessarily in mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. I've seen this um, something along these lines brought up a few other times, especially with the whole closet aspect. Um, but I agree that she definitely wouldn't have written it as a whole, the whole series as a metaphor, but this definitely, definitely can be interpreted that way. I agree. Yeah, I think, you know... Um... One of the great things about these stories is that you can read into anything in any way you want. So I don't think it was intended, but if you see it, you see it. Yeah, agreed. And it is it is very easy to see it, I think, in that. The fact that, you know, it's suppressing something that is naturally just a part of Harry, um, which is the same for our modern society today, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think that's something that Joe does very well at, you know, just 
taking a character and showing their internal struggle to kind of be who they really are. Um, so I think that's, you know, definitely what she's doing here. Yeah. Okay, and our next comment is from Saiyan Girl on the, the main site, and it's about household spells. And it says, Personally, I don't think Harry would have paid much attention to, ho- to Molly's household and healing spells back at the burrow. I always had the impression that he and Ron always had this Ask Hermione mentality and developed a certain laziness regarding the less exciting aspects of magic. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think anything that's practical just goes in one ear, out the other. When it comes to especially 12-year-old boys, you're not gonna... When, when there's all the fun, crazy things you could do with magic, I think that's the last thing they're gonna be paying attention to. But at the same time, I mean, these 12-year-old boys who have to do chores, surely they would want a quick fix to get out of those chores. So learning the, the magical version rather than doing it the long way would be the kind of the way through. In a, logic wor- in a logical world, Rosie, but <laughs> here you have two, two 12-year-old boys who are anything but logical and have, you know, one of their okay. best friends to just call up on to, do, to answer any of their problems, as Hermione sure. often does. <laughs> But at the same I, time, I, I think, think these. Sorry, go ahead, Laura. I was saying I think these two have a problem with logic a lot during the <laughs> series. I mean, they're going to go fly a car in a few in a chapter or two. So this is true. Mm-hmm. I think Hermione may agree to doing their homework, but I doubt she'd agree to doing their washing up. That's true. <laughs> Makes you wonder how things turn out when Ron and Hermione eventually get married. <laughs> because it almost it doesn't I mean it seems like that's kind of the relationship Arthur and Molly have but I don't think Hermione's gonna put up with it I mean if she wrote more books we would know but you know <laughs> this is true there's gonna be a whole Pottermore section as to oh, Ron, there should be how Ron there should choice. be a Pottermore section about like future that would be good <laughs> yeah. past the 19 years later <laughs> anyway that's my fan fiction side coming in so never mind <laughs> Okay, so that's all the comments we have from last week. So over to you, Laura. Okay, so now we're going to discuss our special Pottermore in-depth feature, and these are comments we received on the forums regarding the new special information from Pottermore. So Lumos Knight 3 said, I have to say, for that, for that as awesome as wizard communication and transportation is, I still think a good old-fashioned telephone is sometimes best or easiest. I would operate to see friends, but usually when you go to see someone, you don't just pop in on them. You call first and set something up, and I feel like owls. I feel like using owls to do this takes way too long waiting for a reply. I would still want to be able to pick up the phone and call or shoot a quick text and then operate, but maybe that's just me personally. I so agree. Yeah, I have to... Sorry. <laughs> Whoever wrote that is completely <laughs> right, and had these wizards ever used a telephone, so much could have been avoided. But hey, it wouldn't have made for a better book. But yeah, yeah, telephones. Maybe they should look into it. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, I don't. I can't understand why they haven't, even if they don't want to use a telephone, just come up with some other magical way of besides the owls. Like, can't they even yeah, like a little... paper, the paper to trans, to, to apparate? I don't know. I think that they can work something out, but the the owls are just like a like a magic a piece of method. notebook paper that could use like a like a smartphone text messaging service, <laughs> and you can just write down, "Hey, what's up?" and then someone could write down, "Hey," and you know, no owls need to get involved. Yeah, sort of like Tom Riddle's diary. Yeah, exactly. 
nothing wrong happened with or that. Or even more like the the gold coins that the um, DA use later on. Yeah. Yeah, I just I think there is an infinite world of possibilities of way they can communicate with each other besides popping up in a fireplace unwelcomed. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, using an owl. <laughs> the magical world is just so behind the times with that. I mean, we just we when we learn more about the ministry, we find out they're just now switching from owls for like communicating between the departments or using those um, paper airplanes. Oh yeah, they have those for, things. Why can't yeah. everyone use? I guess they'd get caught in places. Yeah, jammed up and so <laughs> for some reason they're just because of their like dependency on magical means or their unwillingness to look into Muggle means. They're so behind the times on. So this. when I brought this up in the in the Spark Notes blogs, um, people would yell at me and saying that wizards can't use electronics. Um, yeah. So. That would eliminate phones, but surely there has to be a better way. But again, wizards—they like to hold on to the past, perhaps too too strongly. So there probably won't. This be whole discussion um, happened before I think Half Blood Prince came out as well, and Joe Rowling said constantly that wizards have other methods of communication that we don't know about yet, um, especially Order of the, the Order of the Phoenix, um, and. We are supposedly able to see this in the books in the form of the Patronuses. And right. the fact that a Patronus can send a message without ever having to have kind of their person be there. Um, so when the Ministry falls, we see, um, I think it's Kingsley's Patronus. Yep. Yeah. And that sends the message. So in that way, you have got that kind of instant messaging service in the same way as a phone. Your voice gets there, but it's in the form of your ghostly The um, only problem with... The only problem with that, though, is not everyone can, you know, make or um, conjure up uh, a full Patronus, especially, you know, someone who's who's younger and probably some even wizards who are older because they, you know, aren't as skilled. Well, so that I mean, it definitely has its limits. Also, it's like you don't want to give your grandpa or a four year old an iPhone. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Another thing to think about, though, is that if we're only discussing Chamber of Secrets, you know, iPhones had never been invented. Um, text messaging was kind of, I guess, at its height, but it was still a new thing. Yeah, not people were still like Friendster and MySpace back then. Maybe not even oh that. Oh my gosh, I totally. I, I I don't think I was ever on Friendster. I remember some people I knew had it, but I definitely remember the MySpace. Well, I'm days. so old. I, had I to use remember it. Friendster. Gosh, I'm like terrified to go back and look at my MySpace <laughs> to see what it still says on it and everything. Jeez. What do you think? Harry or uh, any of the characters, if they had a MySpace page when they were in there, angsty twelve-year-olds, <laughs> and especially all the stuff that Harry has been going through, I can imagine his oh status updates. Yeah, I mean Harry's would definitely be the the crown emo MySpace of the Wizarding World. So, <laughs> I think Ron would put up a lot of uh, uh, funny meme pictures and just yeah, yeah, usual internet hilarity. And Hermione, and Hermione wouldn't use would it. just be covered in quotes quotes and you know she'd be the very like politically aware person posting <laughs> posting things about what's going on in the world and everyone would stop following her <laughs> she would not be in many people's top yeah. eights <laughs> okay so another comment we have is from Allie Wood it says interesting that Draco who is very contradictory himself has himself has a Hawthorne wand and Draco is in a state where he doesn't know what side he is on very conflicted very unsure what he wants to heal or destroy could the unicorn hair and the connection between Malfoy disarming Dumbledore and Harry disarming Draco and therefore getting the Elder Wand be important? 
I can see Harry giving it back to Draco in kind of a peace offering after he mends the holly wand, as Harry understands the connection between a wizard and a wand. Yeah. So, does that work like that, where you can just hand... Because if Malfoy's wand changed allegiance to Harry, does that work, just turning it back, like handing it, will the allegiance re-change? Does that work like that? It's a really good question. I understand wands about as much as I understand house elf magic, so I'm not the best person to ask. I don't even really understand the question, but I'm sure something makes sense there. There's a kind of psychology behind it, isn't it? So to to change a wand's allegiance, you have to win it. So mm-hmm. I guess relinquishing it in that way would be the same. So yeah, if Harry handed it back to Draco, kind of psychologically relinquishing it and giving it back, then technically Mm -hmm. the allegiance should change as well i agree yeah i could definitely see harry doing that yeah it's a very kind thing and it would yeah Mm -hmm. it would make sense okay so our last comment is from zero regredians and they say wizarding television would be awesome you could have a quiz show hosted by a sphinx there's there's some motivation to get the questions right (laughs) (laughs) i really like this um man i would love to go on a quiz show but not if the Sphinx, uh, sphinx is hosting it because that's really deadly I think that's true, though, that there's so much that could be used in Wizarding Television. I mean, even you think of special effects that are used in TV, because you imagine, like, why are there Wizarding films? I, I don't think there are, but I imagine there's a really big world of possibility creatively. creatively. Uh, I, <laughs> I think uh, because Wizards have such amazing adventurous well some have amazing adventurous lives and they can do so much that their tv would be really mundane and boring because they're they just want to break from all the powers and lightning and whatnot so they just want to watch documentaries about trees and things like that so i don't think it'd be (laughs) that compelling to us but to wizards Hmm. they they probably want an escape to boredom yeah, that's a good point, and, and Dan, that makes me kind of want to throw it to Rosie, because, you know, obviously television in America is very different from television over in um, the UK, so what, what do you think it would be like, Rosie? Is television really that different? I don't know if it is. Well, um, I feel, I don't know, I feel it is. I, I don't know, every time I see, uh, like, a UK show, a UK-specific show, I mean, there's definitely a lot of elements that are pretty different. Okay. The way you go about comedy, things like yeah. that. Yeah, we've definitely got a different sense of humour than you guys, but we enjoy American shows, and there's enough of those on our TV as well. What's your um, favourite American show, out of curiosity? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I don't know. I'm a Gleek, I'm afraid, so <laughs> I'll have to say Glee. Um, that's fair. But I watch I watch loads of stuff. I watch Bones, I watch um, kind of Big Bang Theory. I, I like a lot of American comedy. Okay, but cool. I don't know. <laughs> How do you think the... Would there be like the same like different type of wizarding like dramas and comedies like yeah all different? I think do you, you think know, drama comedy show? all of these things are kind of just genres and I mean they've got different genres of books and things the same as they do for other entertainment channels so I don't see why they wouldn't have that kind of variety. But yeah, wizarding television would definitely be something interesting. Um, whether they were kind of escapes to boredom or if they were just something. To do, I mean, do they have books I don't know. like non like fiction books? Like I know there's textbooks, 
They have their fairy tales and things. Oh, that's like true. So I don't yeah. Did did we bring this up on an episode before? I feel like we sorry didn't. if I'm not bringing up old questions. I just wasn't <laughs> sure. No, no. I think we we were unsettled on like we didn't come to a, a good response on it. Um, well, so, I think, but in the same way that um, like we read, obviously we're reading books books about wizards. Like I I think wizards like they don't only have to like read about magical things like i feel like everything that they talk about is fairy tales and this fantasy aspect like there's certainly a world of fiction that's just interesting to read that is does monday at the office feel like a storm not with microsoft copilot that feeling when copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly it's sunny again when copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act that sun's shining on a beach and when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Smuggle-based that uh, I don't see why they wouldn't be necessarily interested in just a really good plot, just in the same yeah. way that we're interested in a world that doesn't, that's different from ours. Maybe it's all about the the blood divide still it's obviously such a big issue um in the culture of kind of the wizarding world um as harry is growing up that maybe they're just kind of rejecting muggle culture as something that is below them um mm. and that's why things like television things haven't made it over jerks whereas radio which has been around for so long is kind of more acceptable so do you think that in the way radio was it became acceptable in the wizarding world that is years past that they will eventually get wizarding websites or wizarding television yeah i don't see why not <laughs> well that's that's a good thing to ponder so toss it toss that out to the fans too so we can keep seeing what or listening reading whatever you guys think about that yeah but what kind of wizarding television shows would you like to see yeah definitely um, okay, so we're going to move on to some of the uh, responses you guys gave us from Noah's um, question of the week from last episode. And to remind you of the question, it asked, Thinking about the Malfoys, they seem to have power and be greatly respected in the wizarding community because they have money. But how important is gold truly in the wizarding world as compared to magical ability or family lineage? So all of these comments come from the main site. And the first one is from NLEI11, and the comment says, As in the Muggle world, the value of gold for influential fa families is that it helps them to maintain their position in society. Throughout the series, Malfoy's donations are mentioned. I believe that wizarding institutions, for example, St. Mungo's, depends on these donations in order to continue operating. Therefore, the, fam the Malfoy's social status is tied proportionately to their wealth. We see the Gaunts, a pure-blood family and direct descendants of Slytherin, living in squalor because a great liking for grandeur meant that the family gold was squandered several generations before Marvola was born, from Deathly Hallows. 
On the other hand, the Weasleys understand that being at the bottom of the social pyramid instills a drive to constantly move upwards. Ultimately, gold may aid the individuals to remain at the top of the social pyramid, but it will not keep them there. Gold is like gravity. As long as it, as long as it exists, people will stay where they are. As soon as it's gone, people just float away. Interesting. What a profound thought. That was profound. Lengthy, too. I liked it. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I definitely like the last line. Um, gold is being something like gravity. As long as it exists, people will stay where they are. Um, but I, I like that they also point out that it's not necessarily everything, particularly with the Weasleys, you know, drive to move upwards. Right. And I think that's the same, the same mentality that many poor families uh, have, where they tend to focus on... Mm-hmm. But the good that they do have, like the Weasleys, have such a strong family dynamic, and they really are fortunate in all the things that they have. Whereas the Malfoys, they clearly don't have a strong family dynamic, uh, just of how much trouble they have between each other. That they focus on what they do have, which is their wealth. Which is kind of interesting in terms of that final line in that comment. So if gold is like gravity and people stay where they are if they have gold, then it's kind of the opposite of the Malfoys and the Weasleys, because the Weasleys have very little gold, but they all stay very close together, and they all kind of connect really well as like a gravitational pull with the family, rather than, you know, the gold which would send them off into the world a bit more. Hmm. Yeah, Or is that just reading too much into it? (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I see what you're saying. And this is also sort of kind of what, what Laura was talking about, I mean, if anyone follows politics, especially the election coming up, I mean, that's the rhetoric that politicians try to cling to so often, you know, that they came from these humble beginnings and, you know, were able to to rise up and it for some reason creates so much rhetorical power um, in a message they're trying to communicate. So definitely a scene in a lot of places. It's hard for a wizard to rise up in their economy just because it's like what? You can either be a teacher own a shop or, or be another teacher like they don't have as many opportunities unless they take muggle jobs but I don't know if they do so if you're rich and a wizard there's a good chance you might stay rich because you have it and if you're poor I don't know it, it kind of sucks unless you somehow find some great job or make your own business like the Weasley twins you're kind of screwed yeah yeah I just think the the wizarding job market as far as what we've been shown at least i'm sure there are a ton of more possibilities that weren't brought up in the books but it is a pretty limited job market and the teacher shop owner quidditch player ministry worker house elf yep (laughs) (laughs) yeah the house elves have all the the help positions sewn up so there's not even that Jeez, it's rough out there man (laughs) times is hard and we thought Uh, our economy was bad (laughs) yeah exactly and you don't see many wizards taking on muggle jobs that even if they necessarily loved it, like what if someone wanted to be like a doctor? It's like, nope, you're not allowed. You have to take on a magic job. Yeah, that sucks. You don't see many. I wrote about that a lot. That is another job though. We've got healers in St. Mungo's. That's true. What were you saying? I then? wrote about, I, I can't remember what, when, on Sparknotes, I, I bring this up a lot that you're, like as terms of wizards, you're stuck. Like if you want to be uh, like a biologist or a physicist you like you have to learn that either on your own or steal you know just sneak into a, a, a muggle college somehow because you're not going to learn it 
Yeah. So the muggles still are important because they're the ones that are driving like innovative thought because the wizards have no really no real way to get into that. Well, that we know of. I mean, they may not need biology or physics or anything because they have other views of the world. Well, yeah. So they don't need physics if they believe in magic because there's magical rules rather than physics ones. I mean, that's fine because I don't believe in physics either, so... <laughs> I think even, like how I said about being a doctor, like even St. Mungo's, they deal with magical ladies, and I don't know, just norm. what about if you just wanted to help normal sick people? Nope, you can't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't even think about it. Do you think the doctors in Wizarding Worlds make a lot of money? Or do you think most, like, because you could, most wizards can do minimal healing themselves. Yeah, probably, I would say not. And I wonder if it's like socialized care or not. <laughs> no, it's getting real deep. <laughs> uh, maybe a conversation for another day but I would definitely love to dig into that alright well that obviously brought up a lot of good remarks so thanks for that comment and our next one comes from Jess Fudd and it says perhaps it's like the dukes and duchesses and people with that kind of title in Europe maybe Rosie can shed some light on that for us because I don't fully understand it as an American but aren't some people walking around England with titles simply because somewhere back in their family tree there was a person with stature and although that system seems to be less important now some things stick yeah um, there's definitely a, a element of bloodlines in kind of the duchy still as it's called um, <laughs> people still have kind of land and money tied into family names and family um, kind of inheritance. Um, so there's definitely kind of, a, I guess, a certain sense of power um, invested in that, um, but that's generally on a smaller scale these days. I mean, in, in the past, dukes and duchesses and things would have been um, much more involved with politics, much more involved with the kind of general running of the country um, and especially the areas where they live. Now it's more of a kind of a private thing where they just kind of, I don't want to say indulge themselves because that's mean to anyone who is a Duke or a Duchess. It doesn't do that. Um, but I think it's more of a, a personal thing that they're kind of within their family more. Um, but at the same time, you do still get kind of Dukes and Duchesses and things being made um, by the Queen. And um, you definitely get a lot of kind of ladies and dames and all of that kind of thing being created um, and, and kind of knights of the realm and things um, which is kind of just a title rather than any real again power or um, it's kind of status but not really that important these days I think like a Kardashian <laughs> yeah there we go definitely not like the Kardashians <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like the Kardashians <laughs> But it's true, though, that we it's kind of the same mentality of people being born into celebrity families that haven't exactly achieved anything on their own merit, but get to maintain that status because of where they're from. Yeah, I guess celebrity would be the, the modern status of that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? What um, The Malfoys, what, what is his job? Lucius? Yeah. Uh, well, he's on the board of governors for Hogwarts, we know, mm -hmm. but I'm sure he just, like, I imagine him, like, having his, like, hand in so many things. It's like a um, like investment. Person. Like, he just has so much influence on different things, so he gets a lot of returns. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. Definitely not 
yeah, we definitely don't know enough. I wish we knew more about his actual business endeavors, things like that. All right. I'm sure a lot of it's shady. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, thanks for that um, insight, Rosie, as our British expert. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> And our next comment comes from Marauder River 14231 and it says, I'm reminded of a line from the Disney movie Aladdin. Man, I love Aladdin. My favorite Disney <laughs> movie. Anyway. Um, whoever has the gold makes the rules. We can look at our own societies right now and know that the rich people are the ones who influence politicians to their way of thinking. With any business venture, you need capital. And who has capital? Rich people. I'm pretty sure this concept is no different in the wizarding world. Kind of like what we were just talking about with Malfoy, um, having his hand in so many things. Yeah. So whether they are kind of whether they have the job in politics themselves or not, right? If they if they have the gold, they can influence things. Yeah, that's exactly what we were saying about Malfoy a second ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think after all the events transpired after Deathly Hallows with the whole war that the Malfoys will lose like, all of their wealth and stature because they won't have he won't be able to have his hand? in these businesses now everyone's aware of the type of person he is where they're going to lose their wealth and be at a level i don't think they'd necessarily lose it because that's the whole point in the what we were just saying about kind of the dukes and duchesses and that kind of family money they already have this money so if they are kind of clever about it they don't lose it um only if they are kind of using it all the time would they lose it right Um, so they're just not making more necessarily Mm-hmm. And I still imagine, you know, Draco growing up and being somewhat successful still. Yeah. Okay, well, our next comment comes from Lumos Knight 3, and it says, I would like to make the argument that money is not what matters most in the Harry Potter series. I think at the end of the day, blood status or magical ability wins out as being most important to the characters. I would say that's true for the the status quo of when the books are taking place. Um, yeah, but I think you know we learned from Pottermore that blood wasn't as always wasn't always as important because families like the Malfoys would do business with um, Muggles and such. But I would say for that that time period, yeah, that's probably true. Well, I think blood status not necessarily as important even like moving forward because there's plenty of people that don't necessarily care if they're pure blood or half blood and it keeps getting more muddled but i think magical ability even the most noble characters like harry and ron like they still talk about muggles as so separate and i i just can't ima- even if they respect them i can't imagine them ever really seeing themselves as equal because they're so much more powerful that i think that's something that's not going to change as easily as just Hmm. blood pureness I think the idea of magical ability is really interesting when it comes to someone like Neville because Neville comes from a family which was well respected Alice um, and um, Frank were very popular when they were kind of at at the height of their powers when they were auras um, before they were attacked and the fact that Neville has little magical ability when he's at school um he obviously develops more as he goes on but it's that confidence and that um lack of power that he displays at the beginning that makes him you know he's the joke character he's bullied um and people look down on him despite 
who he is. So blood status, he's a pure blood. Well, no, he's half blood, isn't he? No, he is pure blood. Cause, yeah, he's yeah. pure blood. Yeah. So he's got the blood status. He's got you know the the wealth of family, but his magical ability is what is kind of defining him as a character. Right, because I think magical ability ends up being the most important because that's the kids themselves might not be able to judge people's wealth or their blood status necessarily unless you're someone like Malfoy that's always had it ingrained in them but they can make their own judgments as to who's the best at magic and who can't do magic and see themselves superior or inferior depending yeah yeah okay well our last comment on the question of the week comes from winky smh and it says I believe that money does not entirely get you power in the magic world. Voldemort himself was an orphan that relied on scholarships to pay for school supplies. In this instance, his magical abilities got him his respect from his peers. Also, throughout Voldemort's life, he took pride in his family family lineage, especially since he had a connection with Hogwarts, a place that was infatuated with through... that he was infatuated with through Salazar Slytherin. And I think this just kind of reinforces what we were, you know, you were just pointing out, Laura. Yeah. It's even despite the fact that he doesn't have money and that he's not a pureblood because he's got such incredible magical ability, he still rises as being popular. So I think that's just the most important thing as far as determining someone's popularity or status, at least to the kids. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. If you think about, like, the fact that he collects his followers so he's got Malfoy and the Lestranges and all of those people working for him so if we were saying earlier that you know if you have gold you can influence the politicians he's the influence behind the gold behind the influencing it's like a step even further back that is just purely magical ability right there's an interesting power structure going on here (laughs) it is well, thanks for all those comments, guys. They were they were really great. Okay, so now we're going to get into our chapter discussions of this week. Uh, we're going to be discussing chapters 5 and 6, which are The Whomping Willow and Gilderoy Lockhart. Great. So we start off chapter 5 with the end of summer, um, and it being time to finally leave the borough behind and head off back to school. And the first thing we really see is Mrs. Weasley cooking up a feast of all of Harry's favourite foods, um, and the twins setting off a firework display in the kitchen, which, you know, it's a bit over the top. They're just, they're going back to school here. And I mean, why is this all for Harry's benefit when, you know, Mrs. Weasley's own children are leaving as well? Well, I think, think? I think it's, it's for all of them, but she does something special for Harry with the food. I mean, I, I don't know if it's over the top because, you know, they don't get to see the kids again until Christmas, really. So it's kind of their last night together as a family. That, that's my point, really. I mean, why would you not cook food that everyone would enjoy? Why is it necessarily Harry's favorites? It's kind of favoritism over your actual family. Maybe because Molly likes Harry better than her children. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, does I mean, it, it doesn't really fi- do much for Ron's kind of inferior inferiority complex. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> true. Okay, so we then see um, kind of the next day and Mr. Weasley is um, moving all of their luggage and all of the things that they've packed into the Ford Anglia. And there's a, there's a moment where we see Mr. Weasley almost breaking his neck tripping over a chicken because he's carrying Ginny's trunk and he can't see. 
But this is Mr. Weasley carrying it. Why doesn't he just use magic and levitate it? It seems like it would be much easier. Maybe it would. if he's going to use magic in Muggle things, why doesn't he use magic in his own life? Because he doesn't want his muscles to atrophy. He has to work out a little bit. <laughs> it's like the astronauts have to ride the exercise bike, or else they'll turn to jelly. That's true. <laughs> and because we, we know, you know, Arthur's out there with his prime physique going. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, I I also thought about this when I was rereading for the show. It seems a little, I don't know. I don't know why Joe cho- chose that really. Maybe it's just meant to be something a little bit funny and yeah. showing off that Mr. Weasley is not the best kind of um, physical character. But I don't know. And also just kind of to extend the effect of everything's going kind of crazy and they're all over yeah. the place and running late and everything. Yeah, and even Maybe in the just... chaos of it, you don't think of the most logical like decision it's any way to make it more difficult on yourself <laughs> maybe it's just me being lazy and i'll just use magic for everything <laughs> <laughs> okay so everything gets moved into the ford anglia and we suddenly see that this has become a tardis car it's bigger on the inside um <laughs> and we see molly climb in and say that you know muggles can do a lot more than they than we give them credit for does Molly really not know that this car has been enlarged? Has she never been inside it before? How new is this Ford Anglia that Arthur's managed to get? Yeah, I mean, maybe it is the first time, you know, that she's getting to experience the magic of it. I think she doesn't seem to be a fan of the car anyway, that she probably just didn't want to indulge Arthur. And just <laughs> anytime he brought it up wanting to show her things, she'd, be like, she'd just shut him down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, they they drive off and have to come back to the burrow several times, including one where they had almost reached the motorway when Ginny shrieked that she'd left her diary behind. She almost went to Hogwarts without Riddle. How much of a different book would that have been if that one sentence hadn't been included? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have been... Would have I guess there'd been no, there really would be no plot. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the whole basis of the, the whole conflict of the book. I'm surprised that they actually did turn around and get it, because I know if that had been me with my dad, if I had left something like that, you well, you're going to have to deal with that, especially just saying something so trivial as a diary. Yeah. Like, yeah. My da- I know my dad was saying, like, then go use some scrap paper. Like, <laughs> good, Why did they on. just send it on by owl or something? They had to actually go back and get it. Well, they don't have many owl options, because if we think about this it, Errol's not, not going to really make it with the riddle. <laughs> with the riddle diary. This is one of those things that happens a lot in these books, where uh, uh, she'll, you know, leave hints as to what to what's important. So, like, yeah, it's stupid, yeah. but yeah. we're going to have to know this for later. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, in the future, if there's anything that could be solved really easily by just sending it by owl, and they have to actually go back and get it, we know that that's something to look out for. <laughs> yeah. So they reach King's Cross at quarter to eleven, and there are no other wizards trying to get through the barrier. It always surprises me that every single time they go to nine and three quarters, the only ones there are Harry and the Weasleys on that side of the, the barrier. Why do they never see anyone else going through? Surely there must be so many children and like a constant stream of kids trying to get to the train before 11 o'clock. Maybe they're always late and everyone else is there. Yeah, everyone else is on top of their stuff, <laughs> except the Weasleys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would I mean, also there's some kind of magical organization, like they all get given different times to arrive, but the train's actually going to leave at 11. 
Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So, so similar to the way the port keys worked, where they were each yeah, for the World instead Cup. of just everyone coming to one place, they're all given different times to yep. report to them. But I really think it is just a matter of the Weasleys not respecting punctuality. <laughs> I guess they do have a lot of kids to organize, so yeah, they're going to be it's a little, little late. <laughs> Gotta set the alarm early. Okay. Um. So. The, the Weasleys all go through the barrier um, and Mrs Weasley says that Ron and Harry should follow after her and Ginny but as soon as they try the barrier has been closed and they go flying um, Hedwig's making a load of noise um, and they cannot get through to platform nine and three quarters Ron immediately starts worrying that his parents can't get back through either and they miss the train but you know what about the rest of the parents again there should be more um, more of a fuss about this surely if this happened and the parents couldn't get back through it should have caused more of a stir in the wizarding world yeah (laughs) the thing that doesn't make sense to me is that about three seconds after this when harry questions like oh how come your what are your parents going to do to get home ron's like oh they'll just apparate so in ron's mind they will get through the wall and apparate home so if that's happening (laughs) then why can't they just wait we just asked the question also, like, if you can apparate maybe from nine and three quarters, is there maybe a flu network connection on nine and three quarters? And if that's the case, why didn't they just go from the burrow straight to the platform? Hmm. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe there's a fireplace in there and that's how some families get in. You have to think, like, and, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, is there's only the one, if there is only the one way to get there, Surely there's going to be people running into each other as they leave while someone's coming or vice versa. So there has to be like a fire exit at least or some other way to get out. Assuming they were logical in this process. (laughs) It seems like a very complicated way of kind of getting kids to school when they could make it a lot easier. Yeah. So Miss Rowling, let us know. How do they get out? How do they all get out? (laughs) But only a school as magical as Hogwarts could convince kids to break laws in order to get to school rather than to get away. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's encouraging muggle readers to, you know, go to school and enjoy it more. Even if the school isn't quite as magical as Hogwarts. I mean, I if I've missed my bus in the morning, I'm like, well, I tried. Back to bed. <laughs> I'd be the same. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ron and Harry climb into the car... Um, unfortunately the invisibility kind of spell that's been put upon it isn't working again another of Mr Weasley's failings Um, but they they fly off and they're spotted by a few people but they can see the train once it leaves the station and that just makes me think you know if nine and three quarters is hidden within King's Cross at what point does the train suddenly become visible in central London does it appear from nowhere or is it just kind of on a track that you know, how do the muggles not spot this train appearing is what I'm asking. Well, I I can't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it just goes out of the, the station normally. I don't think many of them would pay attention to it as something weird. But King's Cross is such a, a crowded station. There are trains going from it constantly. Hmm. Um, I mean, anyone from outside of King's Cross, sure, they, they wouldn't notice a, a train that's just leaving. But, I mean, this is a steam train as well, and they're not very much used in in England anymore. Um, surely people in King's Cross would notice a train suddenly appearing. 
Wow. I mean, I, I've never been, so I, I guess you know more about it than I do. But I'm just thinking it's more one of those things that um, muggles just kind of would rather convince themselves that it's normal than yeah. believe it to be something abnormal. <laughs> it's a pretty sure. conspicuous train. Like you said, a steam engine, which wasn't exactly as prevalent, and it's bright red. Yeah. They're not attempting to disguise it very much. Yeah. Like I would have I would have believed it a bit more if there had been like a disillusionment charm or something on the train that like I don't know, maybe wore off as soon as it got to the countryside, but the fact that they can see it while still in London is what really bugs me. <laughs> yeah. I never thought of that till you just said it, and now this book is horrible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Burn it, <Yeah>. throw it out. <laughs> Done. But anyway, they drive the car up into the clouds. Um, which, you know, must be quite cold and, you know, there's thin oxygen up there as well. They never really think about that when they're driving. The hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No um, and, you know, this, this journey is from London to Scotland, and that is a very long journey. And suddenly we get that kind of road trip moment of, are we nearly there yet? Even <laughs> flying a magical car can be boring. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't think the magical car is equipped with, like, an iPod dock. So. <laughs> which is a, which is such a shame, because what would be better than cruising up in the clouds with your iPod going? <laughs> yeah, I think we need a playlist of, what the Flying to Hogwarts playlist. Yes. I'm sure there's plenty yes. of F- Fans, give us your playlist for Flying to Hogwarts. <laughs> what would it be? We'll try and release them as extra features on the app, maybe. Yeah. That would be good. <laughs> We'll make a Spotify playlist. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, the closer they get to Hogwarts, um, the car starts to become tired. And as we were saying earlier about um, wizards not being able to use Muggle electrics at Hogwarts, I think Hermione says it at some point, doesn't she? Maybe that's Mm -hmm. why the car kind of starts not working properly, because the closer they get to Hogwarts, this kind of magical barrier kicks in. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't really think about it that way, but that totally makes sense. I never thought of that either. I just thought the poor car was tired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a little (laughs) of both, but I definitely think it makes sense that, you know, it wouldn't be able to function completely properly once it gets there. And I like how Ron, like, pleads with it. Like, he's, like, trying to, like, tap the steering wheel. Like, he's soothing it. Like, come on, like, just a little bit further. (laughs) I do that. I do the same thing with my car if it's, like on the empty tank. Oh, no. I'm just like, oh, it's like my house is a block away. You can make it. But it seems like the car actually listens. My car doesn't yeah. listen. The car seems to really kind of develop independent thought. I mean, it um, 
it listens when Harry says reverse and things like that in a second. Um, and obviously when we see it again later on, it's kind of gone feral. Um, so that's kind of a theme for this book, isn't it? Magical objects that have some kind of personality within themselves. Yeah, that's something I think we're going to get to in the special feature a little later. Sure. Yep. <laughs> okay, so Harry... Uh, no, sorry, Ron... Um, shouts stop and hits the car with its wand when it's kind of almost about to crash into Hogwarts is some magic really straightforward as just kind of hitting <laughs> something and saying stop or is that just like desperation yeah and if I think so this would, is... would Finite and Cantatum have worked to stop the car I mean I think that's the same way that like you if your computer is freezing or buffering you like slam yeah. it and, like, hit, <laughs> and you're just I mean Please clearly that's it. not going to do anything but no. when you're that desperate it helps. It helps a bit. Yeah, this is Ron having one of his more special moments. <laughs> what if Ron can just talk to cars and then <laughs> mention power? I would like him a lot more. <laughs> Maybe in the future he'll become a magical mechanic. Yeah, his dad would like that. <laughs> that would be a cool job. Anyway, they accidentally crash into the Whomping Willow. And little do we know how important this will be next in the next book. But unfortunately, Ron's wand is broken. Um, and I was just wondering, like, if the wand chooses the wizard, and we've talked a lot about wand law before, but if it's broken, can another wand choose that wizard? If you've only got one wand in you, how do you then have two? <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, like I said, I don't understand the wand thing very much. No. So I, well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's that... I mean, obviously you can win the allegiance of wands, you know, to get another wand, as Harry has to do later. But um, I don't I don't know about be, ever getting that, quote, perfect wand again that you do, like, the first time you go to a magic... to a wand shop. But I would almost have to say that there's not necessarily the one, for lack of a better term, like soulmate for every wizard. Because think about it, you have different options of where you can buy your wand. Um, obviously, Ollivander's is one of the more popular, but I can't imagine, you know, him having the only wand that'll fit a person if they went somewhere else. They really need like a wand like dating site <laughs> to get a, a broader to find their true wand soulmate just from all over the world. Like okay, Cupid. Profiles. Yeah, there we phones. go. There'd be an app for it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the boys have been in a car crash and a fight with a tree, and yet they're both still able to carry their trunks and don't seem to need to go to the hospital wing. It's quite impressive if the tree is meant to be as violent as we're led to believe. Yeah, but this is still the first three books when things were a little more lighthearted and it wasn't as serious yet. So stuff this like this tends to happen. <laughs> right. I just I think the Whomping Willow is just so drastic and like that they I, I feel like there's so many different ways I know it was like meant for Lupin different ways that they could have gone about it where the Whomping Willow just seemed so dangerous Yeah. That when they, they, probably, they could have just brainstormed like for an extra hour <laughs> like a door and, yeah like a secret yeah, door with a nice lock on it no let's put the killer tree <laughs> on a campus with young kids that'll work yeah but you exactly. know wizards they're not logical right well i just think it's funny that like, 
when we were kids in school that we weren't even allowed to have grown-up scissors oh. and <laughs> and yet there's a, a whomping willow on campus yeah among all the other horrors and hogwarts <laughs> that could kill you but they don't have scissors as far as just think just think about if you were you know if you crash into a tree as you do and all of a sudden a tree just attacks you i'm just thinking of this actually happening and being what in the world what if the tree just wants to be friends and has no way to express itself other than with maybe violence? it's just trying to hug yeah <laughs> it's like what was that uh of mice and men or he kills the rabbit every time yeah, every single time. Kills the puppy. The tree just wants to hug yeah. someone. He ends up <laughs> murdering a little child. Poor tree. Oh, poor tree. <laughs> so the boys head up to Hogwarts, um, and they they kind of peer into the Great Hall. They don't go in yet; they're just watching because um, the sorting is happening, and they don't want to interrupt. But they scan across the head table. And Snape is not sat there, so they they kind of do that moment where they're wondering, you know, has he quit? Has he been fired? Is he ill? But nope, he's standing behind them. And why would they leave Snape to wait for the boys rather than Hagrid or someone else? Why not a different teacher, do you think? Snape probably wanted to. Yeah, it kind of seems like Snape is acting on his own accord. Yeah. Like, jumped on the opportunity to try and get them in trouble, noticed that they weren't there. Fair enough. How do you think he knows? I mean, do they do like a roll call while they're on the train? or? I feel like I mean, he's like spotting Potter, trying to spot him immediately when he comes in so he can just scowl at him. And then he doesn't see he and Ron, so he has to know like something's up. That's another thing. Yeah, I think... No, go ahead. I was just going to agree that I think if had it been any other student that they might not even noticed at all that they were missing, but because someone as prominent as Harry Potter and especially Snape's connection with him, he would have noticed in two seconds if Harry wasn't there. But I'm surprised they didn't do a roll call on the train. I remember going on field trips in elementary school and even middle school and you couldn't, like, you were counting off every five minutes to make sure everyone was with Mm -hmm. each other, but not at Hogwarts. You can not go, I guess. You yeah. really seem very lax on security, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> this is just like me talk, me pointing out how I think it's ridiculous they're sending these children into the forest for detention. <laughs> I mean, they do not care. They don't. It builds character. <laughs> Literally. And yet they're so worried when they're out of bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's a serious thing. They should be worried. Definitely. <laughs> Go play with the killer tree. So eventually... <laughs> Eventually, Dumbledore comes in and he just gives Harry this disappointed look and says, please explain why you did this. There are newspaper articles showing this flying car and that it's been spotted by muggles. And I think at this moment, Dumbledore is just very disappointed and fearful that he might have misjudged Harry and that he doesn't want to believe, you know, Snape's assessment of this boy who's just a show off and just like his father. What do you guys think? Is that what that tone of voice is about? I'm so glad he got... A little bit angry because i mean the guy gives out points if you you know light a teacher on fire i think it's we needed to <laughs> see him be a real headmaster and say hey what's up guys yeah i mean this was yeah, a, this is one of the few moments that we see him do that yeah and it's a really like 
gripping moment because I'm sure most of you have felt this before, like where that when someone you someone like this is disappointed in you and clearly shows that it's so much yeah. worse than like them yelling at you, and which is why Harry sort of says he wished he would have you know shouted or something. Like there's just hardly anything worse than someone you look up to showing so much disappointment in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's something that you said about since Snape was originally like giving the the talk with this that because he doesn't think highly of Snape, even though he does maybe agree that their decision was wrong and that it was really bad for them to have done that, there is still that degree of like, oh well it's Snape, so like he's being unfair or whatever. But as soon as, you know, the news is broken to by Dumbledore and something he really cares about, then he like truly feels like, mm-hmm. wow. Right. That was really dumb. Cause it was very dumb. And Dumbledore's main punishment is that he's writing to both of their families. So, you know, for Ron, this is a real punishment. I mean, kind of dobbing him into Mrs. Weasley is one of the worst things you could possibly do. But does Dumbledore write to the Dursleys? And what would they care about, you know, Harry flying a car? As long as no one points out that Harry is their nephew, they'll be fine about it. Yeah, I don't don't honestly think he does, because I think he knows that I mean, if they took it the wrong way and tried to pull him out of Hogwarts or something just as a way to shut him up, then that would be, you know, catastrophic for Harry. And so I don't even think he writes to the Dursleys. It's just a very odd thing to say at that point, I think. Yeah. It's kind of rubbing it in that Harry has no family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he, he had to be careful and say, instead of saying, I'm writing to the Weasleys, but Harry, you know, you don't have parents, so don't worry about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> But then Harry becomes incredibly clever, um, and in the face of you know further punishment, McGonagall's about to take points, and he says, "When we stole the car, term hadn't started yet, so you can't take points from Gryffindor." And McGonagall has got that kind of half smile on her face; she really approves of his kind of logical cheek, um, and she doesn't take any points. Luckily, I love this moment. It's why <laughs> you know McGonagall's one of my favorite characters. Uh, I just love her. <laughs> I'm surprised Harry had, like, the nerve to even just, like, like, oh, wait, hold on. Like, you can't punish me any further. Because yeah. had it been me, I would have just been, like, I will take all the detentions, all the all the points in the just so I'm not expelled. But, you know, good for Harry. For... Yeah, he's like a little lawyer. And what quick thinking as well. I would never have thought of that at that moment. Yeah. True little <laughs> Gryffindor moment. Yeah. So McGonagall conjures up some food for the boys, which, you know, we've we've endlessly talked about how we can conjure food and transfigure it and things like that. But I'm thinking here, she probably just summons it from the Great Hall or, you know, has some house elves bring it up. Yeah, I would say summon because of Gam's Law, so... Yeah. <laughs> and it's an endlessly refilling plate of sandwiches as well, which, you know, solves world hunger. Can I please have yeah. one of those? Because that would be great. <laughs> That would be the real tragedy for me in this in this situation that that whole feast is going on and like I would I wouldn't even care about writing to my parents the fact that I'm missing out on that whole big feast and just just stuck with the sandwiches that would be my true punishment <laughs> I wouldn't get over yeah, that easily. Yeah, feasts at Hogwarts are a dime a dozen. You see them all the time. Yeah, every morning is a That's feast. That's true. <laughs> Lucky. I'm pretty sure I it, the novelty wouldn't wear off on me. <laughs> Fair enough. So the boys eventually have their fill of the never-ending sandwiches and they head off up to Gryffindor Common Room 
only to find that they don't know the password. But luckily Hermione is at hand to give them a lecture and let them in. Um, and once the, the portrait hole finally opens, they get that welcome that they wanted all along when they imagined, you know, flying the car into Hogwarts and being so victorious about being clever and getting there finally. And everyone in Gryffindor cheers for them, except for Percy, who almost gives them a lecture, but they go to bed instead. Yeah. Celebrities again. Yeah. Speaking I'm surprised Fred and George were actually happy by it, because I would imagine they'd just feel very like cheated that they missed out and they got like overshadowed i mean yeah they could be but i think they're also kind of like proud of their little brother for yeah. so to speak following in their footsteps yeah definitely hmm. i'm surprised Ginny doesn't have more to say i mean her brother missed her sorting surely that's an important moment that he's missed yeah or Ginny. Oh, well. <laughs> just the start of the rough things that will go for her this book yeah, imagine the diary entry about that. Oh, no. I'm having to listen to it all. <laughs> Man. Alright, well that takes us into chapter 6, which is titled Gilderoy Lockhart. So we're finally going to get to see Professor Lockhart in the classroom. But um, this, the chapter starts off with Harry still um, you know, reeling from the situation with the Whomping Willow and everything, and even though he had a night of celebration... Um, things aren't, aren't as good when he starts the next day because it says, I think, that when he's in the Great Hall that the sky is a dull, cloudy gray and it's already starting the chapter on this depressing start or this depressing mood as he starts his first day of classes. And that is only the beginning of things going bad for, well, both, I guess, more for he and Ron. Because the owl post comes and we have a moment where Errol almost dies again because he can barely <laughs> manage anything. But Errol does finish the job, and oh look, we have this new object in the wizarding world. Lo and behold, it is a howler. So, before we, you know, get to talk about the howler itself and what it says, what do we think does happen when you ignore a howler? Because Neville says that he's obviously had one before, which should come as no surprise, given the way that Neville is. But he says that it was horrible whenever he failed to open it, so that's why he's trying to get Ron to open it really quickly. What do we think it does whenever you don't open it? Gives you gingivitis. <laughs> that would I be think, pretty hard. <laughs> I think it still screams the message, but like, does it while like shooting fire? Like it just explodes and it's flames, and it's just much, much just angrier message. Get, like, it would just get louder or something. It would just be what the howler normally is, but just even worse. In some because way. it's on fire. Is, is, yeah, because it's on fire. <laughs> is the purpose of the howler um, to be opened in public, like during the, the morning breakfast, or does it happen? Can it happen at any time? Yeah, I think it can happen anytime, really. All right. Because Petunia gets a howler, doesn't she? Yeah. I wasn't sure if public yeah. mockery was part of the the punishment, the humiliation, the hey, look, this kid's getting yelled at. Which would yeah. be totally horrible for a parent or, or guardian to do to someone, but I don't know what happens. I, I think it's all about the, the tone of voice. Like, it's so hard for any written message to accurately portray any kind of emotive voice. So when Dumbledore sends his howler later on, 
it's not necessarily about yelling it's just about that kind of that importance of the voice um but obviously for mrs weasley it's just a chance to scream at her son (laughs) now how just how we were talking about the different more logical ways of communicating with people um now if we have this magic of the howler that's used in circumstances like this where there's want to scream but like if you wanted to just like how you send a voicemail to someone like wishing them happy birthday just to like be a bit more personal like can't they do that like just oh i still want to send a howler friendly howler happy birthday like those annoying cards that play music when you open them up (laughs) exactly yeah like a friendly howler maybe there is maybe we just don't know that would be great i think there should be I'm just thinking, you know, if this howler did come to me, I don't know if there would be anything more humiliating. I would probably just die on the spot. I would embrace it and use all the attention and just say, yep, that's for me. But that's me. (laughs) Because I flew that car here. What did you do? Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit punk rock to accept your howler with pride. (laughs) There you go. Use it. I like it. Well, and Hermione, this whole time that they've been back, has been very short and um, hardly talking to them at all because she feels they just really haven't gotten the punishment that they deserve. But on the way to the herbology class, she becomes normal and starts talking to them again because she feels that at least Ron got his due punishment. I'm just thinking, what a little prude. She, <laughs> she, she doesn't want to talk to them really fully until she feels they've been punished justly. Yeah, I don't think that's the first, the last time she's going to do something like that. Well, yeah, that's true. Not to jump ahead, but yeah, that's just her personality. Definitely. I think, I mean, I think we're all that way, and then, like, if our siblings, like, don't get, like, they get away with something, then it's like, well, I wouldn't have gotten away with that, but she's thinking, like, her friends, like, got away with this, that she's, it was not, it was a, not a fun experience necessarily, but at least exciting that she needs to see I think her reaction's kind of weird, though. Like, she, I, surely she would believe Ron and Harry that they couldn't get through the barrier. So she would look down on them and think they were stupid for stealing the car, thinking it's their only way to get there. But I don't think, like, why is she so angry at them because they haven't been punished for it? Like, just call them stupid and get on with it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. What would she have done? Yeah. If she missed. I guess she would. She would never be in that position. Yeah, that's she would true. have waited five minutes. <laughs> she was probably there from like back. nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and they, they, the three finally get to the herbology lesson, but before herbology even starts, we find um, Professor Sprout coming out with none other than Professor Lockhart, and I had to notice that Lockhart is wearing turquoise robes, and I think it even mentions a hat. Um, and sure, he's ridiculous, but you gotta admit, the man has style. Who else would be so bold to rock some turquoise robes? Yeah, he, he, he likes to stand out. He is, I think, one of my favorite teachers. Not in terms of like people that I, I like, but he's like his his character is so um, interesting, charming, and funny. More so than any yeah. of the others, that you just kind of have to laugh every time he, he's he's on the page. That, yeah, that's a good point, because now, like, when I read it, since I'm much more mature, I, I find it so amusing and ridiculous that I love it, that I'm thinking back to when I read this book when I was, like, 
what, 12 years old? Like, I hated him so much as this young kid <laughs> who was this this awful professor, this awful person. So I think it's really interesting to think of how, you know, I viewed him at different points in my life. Because I think you can, when you're older, associate, like, everyone knows people like that, that are just think they're the most beautiful people to walk the planet, and you just always have to roll your eyes when they act that way. But now that you can, I guess, associate with something, I don't know, it's, it's more relatable, or I think it's funny. I think even uh, J.K. Rowling said that she clearly based this off of someone in her life. Yeah. And that, I think she wrote that, like, right now, he's probably claiming that Harry Potter was his idea somewhere. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny, just because yeah. everyone has these people in their life. Well, Lockhart takes or wastes no opportunity to pull Harry aside, as he often does, and thinks that he has all the answers about why Harry decided to fly the car and get all of this um, you know, hoopla going on. And it's clearly because Harry has got this publicity bug, publicity bug, which he blames himself for, and that Harry is just itching for more fame. So I really love this moment because like Lockhart has all the answers, as usual. Yeah, this is really, really funny, and I think it's something that doesn't really translate as well to the movies, is that, the, like, the, especially the first couple chapters of almost every book is really funny. There's a lot of uh, of times where you find yourself laughing at what's going on, and this is one of those great examples of a pompous person trying to take credit where it's not due, and I don't know, I, lo- I love this yeah. chapter very much just because it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten how much Lockhart does kind of point out how much he's better than Harry in the books, because obviously you don't see that in the movie. I think um, the the portrayal in the movie is brilliant, and Kenneth Branagh is like just perfect as Lockhart. But that kind of relationship where he's... I mean, he's lying the whole time. Nothing he's ever claimed to have done has actually been done by him. And to then downplay Harry, who has actually managed to survive this terrible attack when he was young, is just so excruciatingly annoying and brilliant at the same time. It's just really cleverly written. Yeah, and I don't think it comes from a place of, of like, he's not trying to be mean to Harry. No, like, I think that you know, there's him. some characters like, like Draco that, are, that want to put Harry down. And Lockhart, this is just... This is just how he thinks. He's not trying to hurt Harry or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's not anything really malicious on his end, especially when he's talking about, um, you know, Harry trying to get a start, you know, saying that surviving Voldemort and getting a scar, you know, it's not much, but it's a start. It's a good start. <laughs> he's clearly, he has some good intentions for Harry. He's just not coming from the, the best place about it. But. But Lockhart finally gets out of the picture and they get to their herbology lesson. And I thought it was really funny when um, they're reaching for their earmuffs to get ready for the mandrakes. That says that everyone is trying to rush to the the earmuffs before they have to get the pink fluffy earmuffs. Which seemed to be a favorite of Professor Sprout. So, Which is a little surprising because it always depicts her as very earthy and, you know always with the plants and the trees, and I don't see her as someone a big fan of things that are pink and fluffy. She needs to splash a color. That's true. It's just a little splash. I think it's... You get pink I think flowers. it's funny. I was saying, I think that's funny, just how everyone's, like, avoiding, like, the pink earmuffs, because that's just something that's... Every, like, boy did in, like, elementary school, where if something yeah. was, yep. like, pink, they really <laughs> couldn't touch it, like, pink, like, pencil. Yeah. So I think that's... A good detail. But yeah. 
But the herbology lesson finally starts, and all of a sudden we have plant babies, and I am just so excited about them. And then Pomona just, you know, buries her baby alive like it's nothing. So I don't know how I feel about her just, you know, throwing this. It's, it's a plant, but it's a baby. And she puts the baby in the pot, and she buries it. Dude, what What is Rowling trying to do with creating this plant? <laughs> I, I find even in the movie, especially like just so frightening these like mandrake things. Really? They oh oh I oh and I'm not one of those people that find them cute. I'm terrified <laughs> by them. They're just I just how like wrinkly they look and everything. Like it's you're right. It, it is like a plant baby, but like upping the terrifying of it. You guys know I'm that mandrakes actually exist, right? Yeah, 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 no, I know they exist, but... They're not alive. Obviously exaggerated. <laughs> They're not as this... the little human people. Right. <laughs> and I don't think, you know, it's it's not like she's planning it alive. Like, that's a good thing for it. She's trying to help the, the plant babies. Right. The idea of them as kind of plant people <laughs> isn't actually her own. I mean, they, that that image of, like, a planted person has been around since medieval times. Hmm. So I don't think it's anything that she's necessarily doing. She's just playing on historical magical right um, mm-hmm. elements, which she often does a lot. So yeah. Well, I just think how the mandrakes. I mean, they said like, "Hello, it is Ryan," and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. These ones are the baby ones, so they're not going to actually kill you. But even then, like, these, they're second years. And what if one of the mandrake roots was just a, like, a little bit older, like matured faster and killed them like, <laughs> with their cry? <laughs> I think it's just, just a risky first day of lesson, like jump, jumping right into the life-threatening yeah. plants. Yeah, the insurance policy at Hogwarts has got to be like 15 phone books thick about how they're covered. <laughs> or they just don't have one. Yeah, that's true. And it's <laughs> come at your own risk. Yeah. It's also worth noting that this is the first time we meet um, Justin Finch Fletchley as he joins Ron, Hermione, and Harry with their little baby group. So obviously he becomes a little important later. I didn't really notice this the first time I read it through. I just kind of like passed over it, but this time, obviously, I catch it. But um, they leave Herbology and head off to Transfiguration, and Harry has forgotten how to do anything because he just really um, can't do any of the magic going on, but is not nearly as bad off as Ron, who is dealing with a pretty broken wand. 
So I thought this was pretty funny. Yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. really funny. Now, like, how Harry can't just, like, do anything? Like, is it a matter of just, like, concentration? Because, I mean, I just, I've, I've always found it hard to understand, like, how, if you're being taught how to do a spell exactly in the incantation and the way you're supposed to move your hand, like, how you could be that bad at it. Seems like you could pick up on it easily. Yeah, <laughs> especially he's so gifted with other things. But they they finally they get through the the transfiguration lesson and of course Hermione has done a great job but not really anyone else and they move on to their defense against the dark arts class and on the way um, they notice that Hermione has outlined the the class with hearts on her schedule so clearly Hermione is already infatuated with Professor Lockhart which I find really interesting because I don't know I guess this is the first time we really see Hermione you know attracted or not attracted but you know becoming fond of of someone in the series i mean gilderoy lockhart just doesn't seem like hermione's type and i just don't i don't really get where she's coming from with this just yeah it seems really out of character yeah um i guess it's just because of all of his publications and seems like how knowledgeable he comes across as that was what what i was gonna say like he's done all these amazing things and then he writes books about them that's just perfect obviously right (laughs) all while looking beautiful i just don't think it's fair that there's no hot teachers for the guys we got trelawney maybe yeah man (laughs) who are they gonna go for yeah it's not fair it's not (laughs) Maybe, maybe you know, in the future, they'll get a better stock. <laughs> but and as they're getting ready to go to, before they even get to the lesson, um, Harry realizes that someone is, you know, watching him, observing him, and we meet this boy named Colin Creevy, who we find out is clearly obsessed with Harry and is new to the magical world, just as Harry was, you know, when he started a year ago, but is going about it all another way. I mean, he wants a photo with Harry that's autographed. Um, before he even gets a chance to really get that, Draco comes up and blows it out of proportion like usual, which, how conveniently, Lockhart shows up to play the fame game some more. So I think this is really Harry's first interaction with like a fanboy, well, fanboy, but, yeah. um, because every other person, they've, you know, they've just, it's been more an adult that's just like marveled at him, but... He hasn't really been, like, accosted for autographs yet. And And he has no idea how to deal with it. Yeah. Do you think this is... Do you think he'd embrace it differently if it was a fangirl? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if he's there yet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think he's aware enough. He's got a lot going on to think about girls. I just think... I wonder if, if, if any part of Colin Creevy is in any way J.K. Rowling talking about obsessive Harry Potter fans in the real world and how yeah. she, but again this is Chamber of Secrets so that hadn't really yeah, yeah that's yet. true but you know it, so any obsessive fan of anything, yeah. not yeah. even just Harry Potter yeah, it's, it, that's, yeah. that's a good point just in a general reflection of that I definitely would see that because mm-hmm. it is sort of ridiculous how much stock people put in normal people that have maybe done like one extraordinary thing and want to get their pictures and their autographs, and I think I think it's funny. Yeah, and through this, 
Harry is clearly super over everything that Lockhart has to offer him. And as soon as he gets into the classroom, he goes immediately to the back, piles his books up so that he doesn't even have to look at him. So <laughs> I just was thinking this is a very childish way of dealing with something like this. Like, don't want to see him, want to block him out, get him out of my face. Yeah. I mean, Lockhart's certainly not making it easy on him. Right. And, but... It's it's funny to see, like, I, I imagine if this was a totally different character that had been famous for some reason, like, and had Lockhart, like, egging him on like this, how they would have handled it, and how horrible that would have been to have Lockhart and Mini-Me Lockhart. Yeah, oh, man. I can't imagine how I would deal with something like Harry had to, like, it's easy to say what I would say now, but as a 12-year-old, I can't imagine. No. But we do get to see the inside of Gilderoy Lockhart's class. And I think, doesn't it mention that he has, like, portraits all over of him? Things like that. Definitely shows that in the movie. Um, but he starts class off with a 54-question quiz, and it is solely about himself. So, <laughs> I thought this was really awesome, because it shows you how exactly this class is going to go. And it's we know it's 54 questions because it names the first three questions, starting off with what's his favorite color, and then it finishes up with question 54. So I thought <laughs> it would be really awesome if our fans were able to take the time to make up this quiz. What kind of questions <laughs> could Gilderoy Lockhart possibly ask about himself? Caleb <laughs> <laughs> oh, gives the same quiz to his students. I do. The Actually, the school. first day of my teaching, I just give them a huge test about me. <laughs> I don't know what kind of questions do you guys think he might ask because let me see I'll flip back at what the actual questions were it'd be great if, if besides the few questions we do get the rest were really hard questions about the dark arts that they just yeah. <laughs> it's just thrown yeah. in there because we he asks about his favorite color his secret ambition um, your opinion of his greatest achievement to date and um, when's his birthday and the ideal birthday gift his hair care regimen. His hair care regimen, right. And so maybe he asked, you know, about who the most inspirational person was in his life. And I would imagine it's him. So. <laughs> <laughs> the mirror. But aside from this long and ridiculous quiz that he gives, there's actually some sort of teaching going to happen the first day. And at the end of class, he, you know, builds them up and he opens this or he unveils this cage of Cornish pixies. And, um, you know, a couple of them are laughing about it, and he, he makes it into a pretty, pretty serious deal. So he lets the, the pixies out, but has no way of dealing with them, because his little pesca-pisky pestronomy, or whatever he uses, um, has no effect. And they start shooting out the window and going all over the place, picking up Neville, and he has no idea how to deal with it. So at this point, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say we know that Lockhart is a joke. Yeah, I mean, do those spells have, in the book books, have they, like, ever worked, like, the spells that were, um, like, spelt things out, like, um, similar, obviously, I knew this wasn't a real one, but how Ron was trying to turn the rat yellow, like, any spell that, like, spelt things out like that as opposed to just a word, has any of them ever worked in the books? I don't think they ever have. No, have I don't think so. Yeah, so I think he could have at least said something that was less clearly ridiculous <laughs> but maybe he thought it was a legit spell so oh that'd be sad 
But as he yeah, heads if out if of If he's it, stealing all of his works from other people, maybe he's stealing them off people that don't do their research too. Yeah, that's very true. He just uses Wikipedia for everything. <laughs> he does. <laughs> well, and he pieces out of the classroom because he clearly can't deal with it. And as he's leaving, he shuts the door with the trio left in and asks them to handle it. And of course, Hermione does. She just uses a freezing charm to stop the pixies. And Hermione just thinks that Lockhart's giving them a hands-on approach, but Ron is already pretty skeptical about his accomplishments because I think the chapter finishes up with him saying something like, let's see, what is it? She says, you've read his books. Look at all those amazing things he's done. And Ron just says, he says he's done. So we get this first idea that, you know, maybe Lockhart isn't as truthful about all of his accomplishments as he puts himself out to be. I mean, imagine if you were in a class, not necessarily a magical class, but any class where the professor teacher was like that the first day, just showed no idea what they were doing. I have been in several classes <laughs> where that's been true. Again, it kind of shows Dumbledore's lack of judgment. I mean, why do they not, why have they hired Lockhart? Why do they not kind of keep tabs on him and fire him halfway through the year? I mean, maybe they just can't get anyone else, especially this position, it seems like. I just think it's great that their first class is exciting. I mean, when I was in school, the first class of the year is kind of boring. And here they are doing amazing things. So I'm just kind of That's jealous. True. That's true. For my first day of teaching with my kids this year, I lit a dollar bill on fire. So I had to make sure I did something exciting. Yeah. <laughs> What's the reason behind There's science involved. I mean, the dollar bill didn't actually burn up. Like, there's a way to, like, put something on it where it'll catch on fire, but the dollar bill is fine. I'm happy for it. Yeah. That's just part of my life going out there. So anyway. So this is one of those chapters that doesn't really end on any sort of cliffhanger. So we just have to assume that the daily life at Hogwarts will continue. Okay, so now we're going to talk about our special feature, the Artifact Inspector, where we're going to pick an object or an artifact from the series and discuss it in depth. And we started this already in the Whomping Willow chapter, but we're going to talk about the Ford Anglia. So there's a few things about this car that's interesting. And I think the main thing about it is with the invisibility aspect of it. Now, it's one thing to make the car invisible, but it makes the rider invisible too. And I want to know how this is possible and how it's different from the invisibility cloak. Because everyone keeps saying that the only way to be truly invisible is with the invisibility cloak. So how is fake invisibility different? <laughs> It just bends the light. That's my understanding. Because they, they make jackets now that, that can kind of, using cameras and, and um, reflective surfaces, make it seem as though it's like almost an invisibility cloak. So I look at it like that. Like they're just bending light around the car. So obviously anything inside you wouldn't see. But like. Well, I don't understand why there's several things where they kept saying with the invisibility cloak that um, oh, like different things can achieve the illusion of invisibility. Well, if it does and it gets the job done, like what's so special about the invisibility cloak, even though it's true invisibility? But if they still can't see you, works fine for me. I mean, we've so. seen um, in the the um, scene where Harry is taken by his guard, the advanced guard. Um, and we have that disillusionment spell where he just becomes what is around him. I mean, he's 
literally see-through, but you can kind of still see kind of an outline of him, I guess, when he moves. Mm. I think it's mm-hmm. more like that. Right. And I also like that Harry right. said that as far as he know, as far as he knew, he was a pair of floating eyeballs. And I don't know if yeah. that was actually true, but I mean, as Muggle, I'd be far more frightened by a pair of floating eyeballs than like. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at thirty thousand feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. Seeing a flicker <laughs> of a car, I'd be like, oh, maybe that was a plane, or maybe technology has gotten really cool. But a pair of flying eyeballs. Absolutely terrifying. Well, I guess you wouldn't see the eyeballs if they were that far up and you were on the ground. (laughs) Mess with the birds. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay, so another thing we talked about um, earlier was that the car kind of took on its own personality when it kicked them out of the car and drove into the forest and became kind of like a wild creature. So does every magically altered car have like separate personalities? And like, how would that affect driving? Because <laughs> you don't have you don't have to worry about you have to worry about your own driving abilities in addition to the mood of your car of the day. Yeah, I think this is really this is really interesting. I I don't know why it all of a sudden has a personality. Maybe that's something that Arthur decided would be really funny to tinker with. So maybe it's just solely his Ford Anglia. But it only seems to happen when it actually gets to Hogwarts, or the closer it gets to Hogwarts, when it's starting to get tired. I mean, before that, it's just been a normal car that Arthur's driving. So maybe it's something to do with the kind of, if it is that magical influence um, versus the electronics that don't work in in Hogwarts, maybe it's that kind of haywire thing. Um, It's kind of just developed a personality as a side effect. But it's it's always reminded me of the flying carpet in Aladdin. It's got that kind of personality where it's going to do what it wants, whether you want it to or not. Yeah, that's that's great. And uh, not that there are many other flying cars that are invisible up in the sky, but I feel like this whole invisibility feature is pretty dangerous in that I feel like it, it lends itself to crashing into things a lot more easily. So if there was, what if there were two invisible cars in the sky? Oh yeah, I never thought of that. Or like, how could you tell if you're going to parallel park near a car <laughs> or anywhere? You're going to hit something unless you can see the, the front end of your car. I never thought of that. Yeah, this book sucks. yeah and also like if if they're invisible if you think about the planes up there it's solely up to the car to sort of avoid the plane the plane certainly can't see it yeah and i mean i I really don't think think they've thought it through that much Ah, that's true (laughs) arthur certainly hasn't so no um and speaking of arthur how come magically altering the car is such a, a big deal that it would get mr weasley in trouble because I know there's like the misuse of Muggle artifacts where they do something to that would be harmful, but like they've they've altered magical things before, like the tents, just for their own benefit, where they just made it bigger, and that's essentially what he did. He just made the car bigger and added these like fancier magical features to it. So I don't understand what's such a big deal that Mr. Weasley would get in trouble for altering the car. I think it has to do with, you know, the muggles seeing it, and that's what's reported in the paper, that a couple of muggles spot the flying car. 
And it's yeah, dangerous. Yeah, because the tents just look like tents from the outside. They're not doing anything that's very conspicuous until you actually look inside. Yeah, and the spot of the Quidditch World Cup is probably like, you know, well, it obviously has wards all around it, so the muggles mm-hmm. don't really know it's there. But at the same time, does he actually get punished? We know that he's facing an inquiry at work, but we don't ever find out what actually happens at the end. So maybe they decided it wasn't actually a punishable offence. Yeah. That was all I was saying. (laughs) I think another thing I thought about was, now it's a muggle car, but it's bewitched with magic. So how does this car run? Does it run on like gas or is it seems to not run on gas, it seems to run on like some magical ability. So I just feel like the wizards are being really selfish here to the overall planet. <laughs> they can eliminate the gas for the world. Yeah, this isn't the only thing that they're doing that could really benefit the rest of the, the world, but human race. <laughs> as Dumbledore said or someone said in the first or second book that they can't help because then it we would keep asking them for more stuff. Yeah. But I but like, I would think it has to run on gas somewhat because, I mean, they're still, like, you know, hitting the gas and the accelerator in the car. I mean, I guess that could still be magic, but it seems to me like it would still need some gas. I mean, I feel like that can't be true, though, because could you imagine Mr. Weasley trying, like, at the gas pump trying to work that out? I mean, I'm from New Jersey, and it's illegal to pump your own gas in New Jersey, and it's... It's hard enough for us Jersey folks to go elsewhere <laughs> and pump That's, our gas. That is I such. Can, a, can I just say that is so strange? Like the fact that you do not pump your own gas. That is the. I've never pumped my own gas, and I don't know how. Because I, I'm pretty sure that's the only state in the country where that is yeah, true. I think so. And like, I guess it's because like there are so many like dangerous places in Jersey. If, the, if I don't know if that was their motivation. <laughs> I don't think that was it. It's definitely not true. <laughs> but but like I just want to know who came up with this. I mean, obviously, we're getting off topic here, but this is this is a problem. Like, like I do not understand. <laughs> I actually liked it. But the when, point is, when is, I was in Jersey. If I can't do it, like you don't. Oh yeah, no, they do. It yeah, it, it's nice. Just, I mean, that's great, but like, no, people. It gets people lazy. Then you go to another state. You don't even know how to work your gas, and you start expecting people to do things for you. And I'm not here for it. <laughs> well, yeah. So this is my problem. Where I think if I if I can't do it, I don't think this. I think Mr. Weasley would be even more confused so by default it must run only on magic (laughs) or maybe that's why the maybe that's why the car dies is because they didn't think about the whole gasoline aspect and it just runs out (laughs) well maybe that's why it stalls their kids aren't gonna see their kids aren't gonna see a polar bear because they refuse to help the world out. Yeah. And also, <laughs> with their magic also the ga- the car shows up in later books, and it's obviously rolling around in the Forbidden Forest. So there must they must savage. not need any gas really, because it's not like there's a pump, you know, next to Aragog's home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and uh, the last thing I have to say about this is uh, on Pottermore, uh, J.K. Rowling said that wizards kind of have like, an affection towards Muggle cars over other Muggle technology because of how efficient they are. And how is driving a car more efficient than apparating or the flu powder? Like, have they never been in rush hour traffic? Like, (laughs) I don't see anything how cars could be any more efficient in transportation. I hate driving. I would love to be able to poof from one place to the (laughs) other. So I I don't don't get their logic here. With flu powder, you need to actually have the network. Yeah. 
you need the network with flu powder. You can't apparate your kids around. So especially for families, I can understand how it could be seen as more efficient. What if like the, the yeah. flu powder is um, has a bigger carbon footprint than regular <laughs> gas? There we go. Yeah, we don't know how rare it is. Yeah, uh, and it's and it's really flu powder is actually the leading cause of global warming, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Think of all the fires they have to start. Yeah, exactly. And who knows what kind of pollutants that stuff puts out? Like it's green. Come on. <laughs> so good. Okay, so once again, Noah is unfortunately not here, so it's fallen to me to ask the posed question of the week. Um, and to kind of go on from the, the flu powder and the talking about um, the mail that we did earlier on, um, we've talked a lot about owl post in past episodes, um, and we've been presented with yet another piece of the magical mail system here today. Um, luckily, there's nothing like a howler in the muggle world, even though our electronic, commu- even our electronic communications um, generally respect our privacy in public. So, how is a howler allowed in a magical community? And what would happen if um, a wizard received a howler in a muggle setting? Is the letter powerful enough to know about its surroundings? And what other kind of acceptable magical humiliations might exist that we don't know about? Yeah, I really like this question, especially, you know, what would happen in a muggle setting? Hmm. Especially if they didn't open it. <laughs> Gingivitis. <laughs> Clearly, that is that is what's going to happen. Dan has the answer on this one. Well, let us know what you think on that question, because I'm sure we can get some good responses. Definitely. Okay, well, I we want to thank our very special guest, Dan. Um, it was really great to have you on the show, and good luck with as you continue blogging through Harry Potter. You're on the Order of the Phoenix right now, right? Yeah, it has been. I've been slacking off. Things got kind of crazy here, but yeah, the new blog will be up yeah. real soon. Okay. Um, and finishing that book, and then have two more books, and then I'm done. Well, awesome. Where can um, where can where's the best place for fans to like follow your blog and anything else you do, so we can sort of share that out. Uh, the very best place is to go to SparkNotes proper, you know, SparkNotes.com. There's that's where all the blogs live. Um, if you want to, I, I I send out links whenever I do the Harry Potter blogs on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Dan Tutty. That's at D A N T U T Y. Uh, that's probably the easiest and best place to follow me and find out when the new blog's coming out. Awesome. Your tweets are hilarious. Oh, so thank you. I, it's definitely, definitely worth it. <laughs> it gets me through the work day. Great. And if, if you want to be on the show like Dan or any of our other special guests, all you have to do is you know, submit content to our Alhamora website um, or email a clip of you um, talking about anything really to do with Potter to our email which is alohamorapodcast at gmail.com and you really need to have kind of appropriate audio equipment and recording equipment so we need to have a good quality microphone and a good recording system so that you you sound as good as us on our podcast and just to remind you about our contact information our twitter handle is at alohamoramn you can find us at facebook at facebook.com slash open the dumbledore our Tumblr is mnalohomora.tumblr.com. If you want to call to leave us a voicemail, it's 206-GO-ALBUS or 206-462-5287. 
remember to check us out on our main site, alohomora.mugglenet.com. And as Rosie said, you our email is alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And just a reminder, if you've seen our t-shirts that we've been talking about, we have only four t-shirts left. So now we're very exclusive. So we have small and larges left and email us for details on purchasing. They're lovely shirts. Yeah, and if you haven't already, be sure to check out our new smartphone app. Um, it's available in the U.S. on the iPhone or the Android and in the U.K. for, as far as we know right now, only the iPhone. Um, it's a, it's $199 if you're in the U.S. or 99 p over in the U.K. But apparently there's news that the Android marketplace has finally been launched in the U.K., but no word as to whether or not our avail- our our app is available or not. So if any of our fans over in the U.K., no, please let us know so that we can sort of um, push that out also. But as far as the app goes, there's a lot of great things going on there. You can get interviews from people like Mark Ashero, Hank Green, Lev Grossman, and the f- wonderful Amina Lima. Also transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, vlogs, and so much more. I um, mean, you can even check out our promotional video, which will be in the show notes for this episode and also... Um, found on our main Alo- or on the Alohomora page under the app page so definitely check that out and don't forget you can also subscribe to us on our iTunes feed all right well that about does it this episode for us over at Alohomora so I am Caleb Graves I'm Laura Riley and I'm Rosie Morris thank you for listening to episode 12 of Alohomora open the Dumbledore It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But at the same so, time, does he actually get punished? We know that he's facing an inquiry at work, but we don't ever find out what actually happens at the end. Did we well, Maybe they decide that it wasn't punished. Rosie, are you still here? Yeah. Hello. Uh-oh. Flying car hitter. <laughs> Um, you guys can still hear me, right? Yes. Okay. Well, we'll just we'll just hold on Hello? a second. See if Rosie comes back. Let's see. 
Sorry, editors, my internet's dropped out. <laughs> Trying to get it back. Oh god, I hear that elevator moving. They're coming for me. Uh oh. <laughs> the, the police are gonna kick me out of the room. I broke it. It's gonna be worth it. To record this show. Think of the story you'll have to tell the judge. Oh god. Oh yeah, and I've, I mean, I've committed two crimes today for the purpose of this podcast. I've stolen that theft for the Ethernet cable Jeez. and breaking and entering. And you murdered five people. Yeah, that was on the walk. Yeah. So that was before <laughs> breakfast, though. So. Hmm. Okay, she's offline. Uh oh. Well, let's we'll keep recording, and hopefully she'll jump back on. Sometimes her internet's a bit spotty, so. Because it's Britain. Exactly. 